if my player group is incredibly drunk and or high, can they still play the game? <laughs> and that's really my benchmark for it. <laughs> also, uh, seven years old and up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Welcome to the WWSD podcast. We like to interview interesting and creative people every week. We are sponsored by Collector's Maze. You can check them out at collectorsmaze.com for all things related to Phantom. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Yeah, we actually have a pretty cool guest tonight. I'm really excited to talk to him, Seamus. Awesome. Yeah, we actually, it's our first uh, game designer. I'm going to do some quotations. Uh, that's yeah. the way he described it. <laughs> but no, he's, he's, a, he's a legit game designer, at least uh, from a couple days ago. He started his career in game design. Uh, but he's the founder and CEO of Critical Failure Games, which is an awesome name. I actually laughed at that. Oh, and he you. just launched a very successful Kickstarter a few days ago for his new uh, sci-fi Western tabletop RPG Lawman, an RPG of bounty hunters and shooting people for money. <laughs> I'm proud to introduce internet famous Joe Martin. How's it going, Joe? Hey, how are you guys doing? It's great to Pretty be great, here, man. Right? It's good to have you, man. Long time, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, we uh, appreciate it. Did you actually listen to the podcast? I actually have not, so that was a joke, and I'm sorry, but I will be following you guys from now on. So I'm. It's okay. weird. Everyone oh, says great. that, but number numbers go up. Oh, do they? Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no that's really funny like especially like 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 good friends and all i'll call them out on it like no i haven't listened to a single episode yet i was like well what the fuck dude what are you doing yeah come on man <laughs> people in, like taiwan listening to us and like i can't have my friends across the street listen we're popular with the bots oh that's <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah that's a country right <laughs> big in uh, the pacific rim <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, we got huge numbers in india it's crazy yeah <laughs> Anyway, so so Joe, so tell us um tell us about uh, uh your your background and like how you got into your tabletop RPG came across came into existence. Well, it came across because I've had this idea for this since about 2005. Actually, it's been a while sitting on this idea, and it's the the logistics of how do you make a game, how do you publish something, and this was the time of like desktop publishing wasn't really at that point. We're like, how do I do this? Like, what can I do? And it seemed pretty impossible. But um, I had been playing role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons type stuff for 30 years. I didn't really start with D&D. I just always had a desire to make something like I've, you know, obviously I, I'm an illustrator. Like I like to draw and I like to come up with stories and things like that. Yeah, I, I just needed the time to do it, needed the time to sit down and do it. And then fortunately, we all had this big boon of time that was given to us in the form of a global pandemic. And I'm like, what do I do with my time? I just moved to a new city that I knew nobody for a new job and didn't know what I was doing and said, I have a box full of index cards and some notes and some dice, and I'm going to sit here and craft something until it gets done. Lawman's actual development took about a year, like inside of a year to write everything, do all the illustration, everything to put together. And it was all a one-man show, myself doing all the editing, writing, everything and i was shocked when it came together as quickly as it did so found a way to publish it and here i am so the actual like putting the game together like you said you started off an idea like how did how did that actually branch off into like the full book we were playing uh with my local group of friends this was back when i was living in the middle of nowhere in florida we were playing a lot of uh, munchkin at the time mm -hmm. okay. and i was like god this is just I, it's great but i'm tired of munchkin like i we've kind of gone the course of it and i'm like how hard would it be to make a game without it being a role-playing game. And I realized I have this neat idea for a setting and this was the time. I hadn't seen Firefly, so I didn't realize that I was doing Firefly. <laughs> so I'm like, that's fine, fuck it, I'll, I'll, I'll work with it. 
And I put something together and I adapted it through a different role-playing system. And it was essentially the fundamentals of what Lawman was. It's like, oh, we could all be cool bounty hunters and stuff, but we'll be tongue in cheek and just kind of treat this like it's like lighthearted and stupid. And we had more fun because we didn't take it seriously. We weren't as vested as like a high role-playing group that gets super in-depth. And and it's like, no, this is this is beer and pretzel time. This is we're chilling out and we're cutting back and we're just doing stupid stuff and we're playing kind of a zany innocuous kind of game and that's where the fundamentals of it came in the form of this other role-playing idea with a different system and then my idea was to turn it into a card game which i did (laughs) because lawman also existed in a standalone i was playing a lot of uh android netrunner Mm -hmm. uh, because i love living card games i particularly loved android netrunner still do and i wanted to make a standalone game that was self-inclusive like munchkin and have that kind of feel and it was then in this form and I made it, I put it together, I wanted to Kickstarter it, and just for some reason I didn't. I held off on it. Hmm. After a couple of years of lamenting that decision, I said, this should really be a role-playing game like I wanted. Had the time, had the time. It's like, well, we can't go anywhere. Nobody can talk to each other, have fun anymore, because that's all been removed from everybody's schedule. I'm going to make a game. And then I ended up making the fundamentals of the rules. I did several playtests on Zoom. Um, one ran as long as five months. And everybody was super into it. And I was stoked. So I'm like, I think I'm onto something. This is the kind of game that I'd want to play. And I'm glad other people are wanting to play it. And they're excited about it. So I went, wrote, and continued to write and kept writing. And now I've got a book and wanted to Kickstarter and make more. <laughs> yeah, man. You mentioned the the engine or the system of the, the game is a little bit different than than uh, than what, what, what people might be used to. Well, it's simpler. The thing is, is I've I've designed a game that I said... If my player group is incredibly drunk and or high, can they still play the game? <laughs> and that's really my benchmark for it. Also, uh, seven years old and up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Little Johnny just token up. But hey, guess what? When it's your turn, you roll initiative. <laughs> but no, seriously, like what I look for after playing a lot of role playing games, uh, just different stuff on the table. There's a lot of rules for a lot of things, and there's a lot of tactical simulations for how to do this. How does a grenade work in space versus this kind of metal? Well, we have a system for it. I'm just kind of tired of it. Like at the point I've gotten, I'm nearly, I'm going to be 40 years old this year. I'm kind of tired of learning rule systems and complicated things, and I'm especially tired of teaching them or trying to get other players to learn them. Or remember them. And yeah, yeah, exactly. It just, it get people to care enough. (laughs) It turns into a cumbersome kind of thing. So I said, how do you chew the fat? How do you simplify it? I've been a big fan of minimalist RPG systems, which, you know, being able to find a way to tell this in 20 pages, sometimes as little as four pages, and people have been able to do it. It's like, how do you drop into something where it's like, this is a simple convention that I can teach anybody, and we can play it and still have an enjoyable, fun time. And that's kind of what CF20 is. Uh, CF20 is for critical failure 20, which is a 20-sided dice, and (laughs) it rolls backwards because people have cheating dice. You crit on a one and you fail on a 20 and the whole system works uh, backwards, which is not totally innovative, but it's one little innovation that does it. And everything is kind of structured off of a, a difficulty scale that's given by the, the DM. In Lawman, there's five difficulties. Something could be super cake easy, which means you don't need to roll anything because it's as casual as I'm talking on a podcast. I can talk on a podcast and not be nervous, and that's fine. If I talked on a podcast about a subject I wasn't familiar with, that's when the difficulty and the failure, because it's like I'm trying to present myself and not sound like an asshole. That's when the dice come out. And then the way that it works with Lawman is that the skill system isn't set. It's based on the players coming up with their own skills, 
which sounds weird, but they come up with like a catchphrase or a system to say, this is what I want my player to know. And whenever the situation arises, the player is going to explain to me when they use this skill. And as a DM, I can make the decision of, yeah, that makes sense. You get the bonus for that. Or no, that doesn't apply at all. What the hell are you thinking? You don't get a bonus for it. So it's being able to branch that and get the players to interact with the story and actually involve and not just turn into roll, I hit them, roll, I hit them, roll, I hit them and get the money, which a lot of other games can be. So, so is, is there is there like an attribute system that, that these uh, that these like custom skills kind of fit into? Or is it is, is it more just like the like you kind of build the theme yourself and you you build the theme yourself. The the only thing like the combat systems are separate because they're called murder specialties. And the murder specialty is you choose what kind of murder specialty you're good with, which some of them have, you know, unarmed because you may be a pacifist or you don't want to fight or whatever. But due to the nature of the game where you're being a bounty hunter, you probably need to know how to kill somebody. So you can have especially in and melee weapons or light ranged weapons or heavy ranged weapons. And that's where your combat bonuses and stuff come from. Everything else is skill based. Everything is if I'm a thing fixer, like I write for my skill as thing fixery or whatever. I fix things, which is very broad. And the DM can also clamp down on and be like, you need to elaborate on what kind of things you fix. <laughs> it's all kind of at the mercy of the players. Like if, if the DM wants to run it loose and say loosey goosey, like, oh, you're a MacGyver, you're a thing fixer, you fix things when they break. But it's like, I need you to fix engine things. And so that you have them right. I fix engine things. So when the engine breaks, they can apply their fix engine things to the skill. So. So when you were doing your initial draft of it, like how many revisions did you go through? Like to get this system, like the way you like it to publish uh, five. It? <laughs> five re- was it really five revisions? Okay. What were the major revisions? Was it just like the language or the complexity? Dice conventions, complexity. I had a skill tree and I had things like that. And I said, that's just different because really I like the idea of having something open with my games and what I play as I like story first and I like stories and concepts first. And I like players surprising you with innovative ways to come up with things and solutions to come up with things. I think when you play a system like 5e, you've got a lot of checks that are made. You've got either novice dms that want to do like oh roll a i don't know persuasion and it's like that's not really a persuasion role but we'll roll it i want players to be able to tell me how to interact with it rather than dm telling me what you have to check and then you check and it's like it's still kind of like the dms holding your hand in a sense like i like when a player will give you what they tell you what they want to do they tell you how they want to interact that's the advantage of a role-playing game versus like a video game role-playing game where it's like you know, I got a choice. I, I got my Paragon choice where I say something nice or I got my Renegade choice where I say something mean or I got the play it safe, you know, walk away option or I, I say the normal thing to advance the story. This at least leaves it more open and free form, I think. Kind of what I'm thinking with that. And is your system based in a way where you can like translate to like other like universes and franchises like move it away from sci-fi? Could you do like a medieval uh, theme or... With the core mechanics of it, I think that you could. Then I've mm-hmm. actually thought about that because one of the things I wanted to do just for my own purposes is I've for years wanted a G.I. Joe role-playing system or something that plays like it, where I want to play you're a group of six all-American action-y dudes fighting a cartoon bad guy organization that is like, we're going to move Mount Rushmore, and if you don't give us a billion dollars, we'll blow it up. And it's like, oh, well, we got to go action force our way up and and go do this but doing it in that same kind of like 
how do you build these guys individually and do it in a neat way? And GI Joe is a good example of that because you've got guys who've got Fervery, Duke and Flint, you've got a quick kick and all this other stuff and you, everybody has different things that they do. So I think there's flexibility to do that. And if you wanted to expand it and do fantasy, I think that's not off the table. I think that anything can be done with the system, which is kind of how I've treated it because it's so loose. Damage is done really simply, like basically light weapons do one point, heavy weapons do two, and there's special weapons and stuff you get in the game that can potentially do more. The damage is pretty lethal on this game too, so it's like it's it's encouraging for combat, but it's also trying to push you away from it because it's it's easy to take somebody down, but it's also very easy to be taken down as well. Like combat should be, I think, like when you have games where it's like, oh well, don't worry, I have 118 hit points. It's like, what does that translate into in real life? Like, I know with hit points, it's like a measurement of luck. When people sword fight, I guess you take us, you know, take a dagger to the heart better if you've been around longer, <laughs> like, I, I don't know, like it doesn't, it doesn't, it's never processed and made sense in the same way to me. So it's like a combat should be very lethal. And it's like one of these things, if you shoot somebody in the head, Oh shit, he's shot in the head. That's bad. <laughs> you know, and it should reflect accordingly on the sheet. So you mentioned like these different weapon types are, are, are those things that are open to, to creation as well, or are those kind of set in stone also? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's made uh, very openly. Um, one of the things that's coming with the Kickstarter is um, there's several decks of cards that I'm making just as kind of samples. And one of the big plans of it, because I'm drawing weapons and goofy faces and things all the time, and it's like making the templates to produce these things. Uh, one of the things I want to do is um, using Itch as a venue for distribution, as well as Drive-Thru RPG, is I can do card packs. And it's just like a simple card pack of like, everybody gets this. Here's 10 more bad guys, 10 more guns. What does it cost? Like two bucks or whatever, you know, and and then you get it and you can supplement it. And these are ideas. But you also have customizational abilities because the characters are super easy to build. They take five minutes to build because it's essentially what's your name? What do you do? Have you committed any crimes? What are those? You know, what skills do you have based on the same kind of attributes, the way that, you know, players, you know, have their same skill sets and how do you kill somebody? And that's it. How much money are you worth alive or dead? (laughs) Do you have any kind of like pre-built campaigns uh, coming, like shipping with this? There will be a pre-built campaign with it. That's the one thing that's actually not included right now, but I will be generating at least one, possibly two. Um, One of the, uh, I'll spoil it, one of my next Kickstarter goals is an expanded adventure because with Lawman, it is designed to be a quick one and done and you can do campaigns if you want um, because there's a lot of elements of the story. There's the thematics of it. And there's things that are left intentionally open for player decision. Like, I don't want there to be a definite lexicon to how things work. If somebody wants to play something like these guys turn out to be secret assholes, you know, with like the company that hired you, they turn out to be secret assholes, or they could be on the up and up. You can play it that way. What lies outside the galaxy? What lies in these restricted regions? Is it totally safe? Is it awful? Let the players come up with that and give them the tools to do that. So that way, everybody's having a unique experience from it. So this is a good segue to go actually talk about your Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. your Kickstarter, I, I think it was what, $1,500? That's what you were initially looking for. $1,600. $1,600. Mm-hmm. And I know it's been out for a couple of days now, and it kind of just exploded. I know you, you must be absolutely thrilled about it. It is currently, according to this monitor, at 11371 And that is of a $1,600 goal and has 25 days left at 146 backers. I am shitting my pants excited and nervous about this because (laughs) it is something that I neither expected. I expected to make goal. I did not expect to kernilate goal. And that is what has happened. 
and it is <laughs> at least in the first few days yeah absolutely yeah. it's just uh in the first few days that's the thing i know when people talk about it and they're like you get a big curve up it staggers and floats it floats and then the end happens and then it's going to go a little bit up or down or who, who knows i'm hoping it goes up seriously like i had heart palpitation i had to call work and like because i was working at the time when i launched it and i'm like I'm going to need to take my lunch early because I have to go breathe in a bag for basically an hour because <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm I'm very excited about the success of it. My my followers, the people that have been able to contribute to it and have been interested in it. It's just been incredible. Like, it's been totally incredible. Like, this has been a dream of mine. And I was like, at this point where I'm like, this would be cool. I was satisfied with it when I created it for myself because I said, no matter what, I will have this thing and I built it and it's a game that I like. It's a game that I'd want to play. If other people want to play it, that's even better. If not, fuck it. I got a thing that's unique when people come over and want to play a game and they're like, let's play D&D. It's like, why don't we play my game? And when they say yes, sure, or nah, I'm like, all right, cool. Well, it's an option. I did it. I made the thing. I made the thing happen that I wanted to do. So I thought I thought your pitch was really solid on there. I like like the way you wrote it out. And I, I, it's very humorous. Like there's a lot of humor. Feel um, doesn't feel over the top. It's like it, it fits. You know, I mean, it fits with the theme. And um, and your the the theme is really tight too. You know, like thank you. Um, you, you, you're a graphic designer, and uh, right, like yeah. I was, I was impressed with that. Thank you very much. I was, I was definitely aiming for it based on, I backed my Kickstarter probably tells you, but I've backed like a bunch of these and I've seen campaigns. What draws me in? What, what's cool about this? And I felt like even what I did is like, it was very wordy, but I was like, I just had a lot to say about it. Cause I was excited about it. Cause it's been a, this has been the passion project. This has been yeah, the it's your baby. Like, <laughs> I want to yeah. talk about it and I want to be excited about it. And this is definitely my baby. But I like that I could be tongue in cheek and other people got it and appreciate it because it's it's meant to be a bad movie. I mean, like the (laughs) the list of inspirations, like the plot and theme of it is nothing that hasn't been done, but it's the goofiness and the art and the presentation of it that really I wanted to sell on because I'm I'm a big fan of RoboCop. (laughs) <laughs> it's got a yeah. lot of RoboCop in it. RoboCop is one of my favorite movies just because of the satire alone, not just the fact that you got Alex Murphy blowing guys away in a movie that an eight-year-old shouldn't have watched. Eating baby food. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's just it. You know, having this goofiness to it because it plays off of every bad movie I've ever seen in the 90s that portrays it is the future and (laughs) bounty hunters rule where cops have failed and it's like yeah this has been done but it's being able to do it in a fun way with a group of people that you know you can just chill out and it's it's very familiar like the like the overall theme it's just like it's nothing you've not seen but it's like in a good way where it's just like you kind of feel at home it's a warm blanket and chicken soup it really is (laughs) because it's like it's not trying to be anything that it isn't i'm not trying to give a lot of these things the, the you know there's a lot of great kickstarters and a lot of great projects that want to project like a great vision of somebody's idea that's very groundbreaking but not everybody's going to get it and this is literally like this is a pair of old shoes (laughs) a pair of some old you know vans you know spicolis and they're beat up and they stink but you know what damn it they're comfortable when you get home so good (laughs) they feel so good they feel like these are my shoes that i can do anything in and i yeah, that's what Lawman is. It's a big pair of smelly Spicolis, and um, <laughs> I got a hoodie just like that. Where like the hoodie's gonna like bang forever. Like it's <laughs> this shirt right here. It's just that's what it is. It's my casual comfort, you know. And that's all what Lawman is to me. So, 
and i th- i remember reading like it, it started like you weren't even gonna like do a kickstarter you're just gonna publish it I, the thing is is i was gonna do it without promotion all of the, this is the thing that's astonishing is i haven't done any advertising for this like any at all so the fact that it got where it did is like astounding to me like i didn't realize how much kickstarter actually amplifies this stuff you know people outside of it actually get it that's why my goal was so low because i was only expecting like i'm only going to do like i don't know 10 20 books something like this i don't know i just wanted to do it to do it and there i found my success that was the plan and it still is the plan is to make it available on all of the other rpg outlets like itch um itch.io has been phenomenal i've got a couple of other smaller games that i've made on there drive through rpg is the next thing because they do in-house fulfillment they can print on demand and and all of that for people who want it so it's cool so it's like that's being able to manage that without me having to do the overhead of hey look I, you know i'm telling my partner that i've got oh a uh, hundred books arrived again we have to deal with this we have to ship all these out we won't have room for this move your bike <laughs> you know like <laughs> so but like the, the overall point of a kickstarter though is like all the stretch goals and stuff like that and like all the extra incentives anything unique that you're doing with that kind of stuff oh my goodness the kickstarter well the the stretch goals was something that i had planned out and i'm keeping it minimal because the, again the, the goal of this was to produce books um produce books and raise enough capital to do additional content down the line so everything i'm doing right now is in-house additions to the book to make the book shine more basically mm-hmm. to give it more pump like I, yeah um all of the sheets for instance the first one i did and i knew i was going to do is all of the character sheets are going to be form fillable with the font so everything that you type in on an excel or in the pdf you'll be able to type it and it's going to look like it does in the book so it's all going to be uniform and look cool and make you feel official it's like oh cool i got this thing that's actually going to stand out and then adding more art um i've got a gm screen that i've actually announced i am doing the art for it now because i was planning on it but didn't know if it was going to actually happen so i'm doing a gm screen with shortcuts for all the rules and for dms to be able to cheat and then i'm doing additional cards and additional content to add onto the supplemental decks so that way you've got more art and more things to look at and more weapons to use and that's kind of where the additional goals are going to be coming in there was one that i want to do but i think it's a little even with the price that it's at i think it's a little too lofty right now once the goal or once i do this see how it goes i want to be able to revisit this and launch you know additional stuff like if i do a supplemental like oh here's a a weapons locker book or something where it's like here here's 200 crazy freaking guns to put into your game or 200 you know unique items or things of interest or plot seeds or things like that so being able to develop that because i really want to do like an old style dungeons and dragons box set like they like tsr used to do when they had mm-hmm. like those big beautiful box with the art and just a you know dice crayon all of the stuff bound in together all in one shot I'm still looking into uh, some options with that, so that might not happen now, but it might happen in the future. So let's let's say let's say this uh, this is wildly successful. Like it, every, everybody gets it, they love it, they want they want more of it. Is is this something you would like to do full time? Like make games? Oh my god, like, yes! Continue to make games. You want to make more games? I have been wanting to do this since I was 12 years old. Like I have been the idea. Nice. The the thing that I like about tabletop game design, I'm a big video game player. Always have been. I can't code for shit. And I'm at the point now where I'm too cranky to want to learn. <laughs> and the thing is, is it's never been a better time for people to learn and do this. But even with a video game, it has a shelf life. 
as a shelf life of where it's looked at and appreciated for what it is. And the thing is, is there's other factors that come into play. Oh, this game looks like crap because it's a PS1 game. And that's when you're working with the 256 by 150, whatever resolution. It looks pixely and grainy and shitty. And so the enjoyment's not there. But yeah, it ages out. It ages out. With a tabletop role-playing game or a board game. It's good forever. It's good forever. It's got a shelf life. You bring it out. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. You make it fun. You could, that's why Dungeons and Dragons has a great appeal now. You can get these old dusty books that have spot colors and were printed in 1983 and they look great, you know, and I mean, they play great because it's your brain that's doing the work. I said tabletop gaming is the way to go because that's what I want to do. So hopefully people don't look at my art in 25 years and be like, oh, it was like, shit, I don't want to play it. And it was then <laughs> to prove my own point again. <laughs> So speaking of your art, it's also in our good segue. So we were putting the book together. Are you thinking like, oh, I should put a graphic here or like, how, how does that the creative process work for that kind of thing? All of this was set up in InDesign and I built the fundamentals of it very early. I kind of laid out sections because uh, past stuff that I've done is I worked for a newspaper doing a page layout. And uh, it's one of the skills that I was able to take away from the print industry before the print industry collapsed on itself like a neutron star. <laughs> and you're printing books? <laughs> yeah, and now I'm printing books. I haven't learned anything. <laughs> being able to take that and learn that uh, that trade and being able to, to do that, it's been really helpful because I can actually place, like, I do want a full piece of art here. I want a half-page art here. Because I've played a lot of games and there's a lot of beautiful examples of things that I've seen that I remember taking and liking as a kid or even as an adult, this is a good way to do this. I should do something like this, but with the sensibilities of this. I've been able to kind of mix and match and, and figure out what I want because that's the thing. I realized from the cursory example of this is this is like I'm showing somebody's grandparent my book because they're not going to read it. They're going to flip through it. And I want them to flip through it and see the art. And they're like, oh, that's neat looking. And that's what I'm kind of looking for the initial self point because so many books come out and it's just wall to wall of text and charts and forms. And it's like, yeah, there's that too, but there's also pieces of art that make it stand out. Like, that's one of the things I do love about like those books, not just with like uh, tabletop books, but like uh, I have a lot of friends that play Warhammer. Oh yeah. And I'm not like a big Warhammer fan, but I love like just going through like a Warhammer book. Like the They're beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah. Warhammer 40k, like every edition of it, the the initial chapters are just these beautiful paintings of just carnage and towers of the the god emperor and all of this stuff. And they give you this thing. It's like, I'm not cool enough to be in this room for this universe you've given me with the Xenos and all of this stuff. Yeah, it just, it has, it builds theme and it builds character and you get that from it. And there's a wonderful thing to be said about it. There's with a lots of games. It's even like collectible card games. I look at um, Magic the Gathering, for instance, which has had a phenomenal you know, appeal through the years. Like even with the earlier sets, you have this art which looks, you know, primitive from the time, but it's still amazing. And it invokes a series of imagine a feeling of imagination up to the current cards where technology has changed, digital painting and everything has become more prominent. And you've got a lot of great classic art and classic images that hold with you. And that's what draws you back into it. Yeah, because even as a kid, like I remember like just like paging through like D&D books. Like I didn't understand it. Like, I wasn't into it. But that's yeah. that art just speaks to you. Even like the classic magic art. It's just it's mm -hmm. just something about it. it just draws yeah. you in and you just want to find out more. Dungeons and Dragons, like because my parents decided that apparently my dad played D&D at some point and I don't know anything about the story other than something crazy happened. Summoned a demon. <laughs> that, that was that was a big thing back in the day. There was like, there was all this Satanic panic, panic about, yeah, the back yeah. about D&D, like they thought they were summoning mm -hmm. demons. And that's, and they had lots of scare tactics and all of this other stuff. And my parents aren't terribly religious. I'm Catholic, but I'm shitty Catholic. So I don't really do anything <laughs> about it. I, I keep the guilt, but I don't have any of the other stuff. <laughs> um, the upside. 
Yeah, exactly. But my first game system was because I was really into the idea of playing this and I didn't have D&D books. So I wrote what I thought was D&D. Like I made okay. my own primitive bullshit game and I had like a steno pad and I wrote like stats for something that's like, this is like a cat person and this is like <laughs> a robot man. And I was just rolling a D10 and I had no idea what I was doing, but I made a rudimentary combat system and I was excited about it. And I was showing people like in my class and nobody thought it was as cool as I did, but <laughs> I, I was really psyched. One of my first actual role-playing games that I played that my parents ended up buying me was Shadowrun. I don't know if that name's familiar to any of you guys. No. Mm-mm. It's a cyberpunk game that's set in a postmodern actual world. Like it's set in the United States of America, except it's called the United Canadian American States. And a magical return has happened where elves, orcs, trolls, all this stuff is in the modern day of the future. But it's also a cyberpunk game. So my parents weren't cool with Dungeons and Dragons because of satanics and magics, but they were cool with paramilitary Futuristic, futuristic stuff and magic <laughs> so it's like cool you just gave me like yeah this urban terrorism kind of game and i was like really stoked about it but the art in it was one of those big inspirations for me and even the later stuff that you know came out from D at the time like when i was able to sneak out and look at my friend's stuff and be like look at these paintings from the planescape books these are so fucking cool you know and i just they bring it you like with magic and everything else they just they bring you to a certain place and it's that com- level of comfort like when you were younger, did you actually have to like hide like your role playing from your parents? They eventually became cool with it. That's the okay. thing. I, I um I have had to explain to my mother how this Kickstarter is happening and what it means because they have no idea what any of it means. It's like I'm making a shit ton of money. How <laughs> is that fine? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's legal. I've made something. I'm producing it. I've I've actually I've I've made it. You know, but they eventually became cool with it because I think I explained like. I, I don't understand. Like, like my family was never inherently religious. Like as my parents have gotten older, I think the fear of God has crept in and now they sort of are, but they're still cool with me doing whatever. But they were also the parents, like some parents were like, you know, like other people had parents that are like, I can't watch R rated movies. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm a kid. I can watch all of this stuff. I was watching predator when I was five, you know, it's just like, <laughs> this is fine. You know, this is fake, right? Yeah. So it was weird. Uh, I never had to hide any of that stuff with my parents. Like, I think they were just like, as long as you're happy and not on drugs, we're fine. And here we are. <laughs> and I'm not on drugs. So obviously, like, your favorite kind of game is the, the tabletop role-playing game. Like, what, what, yeah. other, what other types of games do you like? Do you like deck-building games? You mentioned li- living card games, right? Big fan of deck-building games. I really loved Star Realms. Um, Star Realms, I think, is actually a really enjoyable experience. I like what Darwin Castle did with with that game. I have a collection, just a wall of different board games that I bought that I love to break out. My favorites, Dandroid Netrunner is definitely one of the best thematically because I just love the layers of game that that offers, especially after being in a post-Magic thing. Because Magic and I have had a very love-hate relationship of like, this is fun, this is fun. I'm spending too much money on this. I'm tired of this game. I can't do it again. But I remember it being fun. Let's come back. Oh, the rules are different. What are these? Oh, they're Planeswalkers. Fuck this game. But maybe this was good. I'll come back. And I'm kind of in a I'm coming back point and I'm playing Magic Arena a lot now. Android Netrunner was cool because it was just an asymmetric game that played with different goals. It came with amazing, beautiful art. It hit that sci-fi cyberpunk niche that I really love from other games. And it was a game that was played on the table and off the table with a lot of deception and reading player body language and all of that stuff. 
And it just hit all of those sweet spots where I was like, this is just a unique experience that anytime I find a chance to play it, I definitely will. Um, definitely probably one of my top games. You have a, uh, a, ro- a role-playing slash board game group that you guys meet weekly, monthly? We have, well, <laughs> because of the pandemic, no. Yeah. Um, but we had been doing Zoom games for pretty frequently. I actually, as of last year, I moved away to Raleigh, North Carolina for a job, and I didn't want to do that job anymore, so I left. But the only people I met in Raleigh was a small role-playing group that turned out to be, like, the coolest bunch of people. And just for this one throwaway game, and we've kept in touch, like, like this entire time. We just finished an, uh, an adventure of Free League's Alien RPG. So we played mm-hmm. uh, that because I'm a big fan of just at least the first two alien movies. And I really love the the theme and the mythos of it. And we played this game and it was super awesome. So I've got a group up there that I play with a group down here that I play with out of Sarasota. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I, I love it. I love board games. Like one of my best friends like loves board games and it's so hard. Like the older you get, like it's so hard to getting a group together. To play yeah. board games. Yeah. It's a giant commitment. Everybody has stuff and time and it just, that's the, one of the most unappreciated resources you have in your youth is the availability to fuck around with people and yeah. uh, being able to do that. I used to run, I ran an eight year long superhero game off of a system called mutants and masterminds. And we met every Sunday to do this. Like that's awesome. Lo- in lockstep, we totally had it. And now I can't even imagine getting all of those guys together under even an online. It's like, Oh, my kid's asleep. I can't, my computer's in the room and whatever. I'm like, God damn it. We can't, <laughs> why can't we do this? Why can't we make this happen? And it sucks. It's 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 hard it's hard find people that uh, are willing to sit for like complex rules too you know like that are willing to like sit and play it like learn learn how to play the game. The biggest problem I've had with that too is my inability to want to read anything, and that's probably I'm an American <laughs> and I don't want to read. Uh, YouTube tutorials <laughs> exist and they're they're out there and they're fine. Lifesavers for those harder board games. They are the lifesaver for everything because it's like <laughs> I want to be able to learn this. I want to watch two other people who have somehow learned to do this do the thing. I do that with some things. Some, some games run into the higher complexity. There's a board game that I really want to play um, that I've had for a while uh, called Nemesis, which is uh, an alien adjacent. It's alien with serial numbers filed off. You're basically doing <laughs> stuff from the board game and it's so involved and it's like, it's anywhere from two to three hours and you can play it solo. And I'm like, I haven't hit the point where I want to play a board game by myself and feel really sad. <laughs> <laughs> I've asked people, it's like, listen, I got a big 40th birthday coming up. All I want you to do is come over and just learn just enough rules to play this with me. That's all I want to do. It's tough being able to get people to want to commit. Again, with Lawman, the reason why I went simple is I know people's attention span because I know my attention span. Do you want to learn something additional to what you already know in your exhausting daily life? And most people are like, no, I don't. I want to watch Netflix. I want to do something. I hate to say it, but that's just how it is. So people want to be able to do something that's quick, simple, and easy. No, I think I think that's why I always gravitated more to cards game, card games and all, just because they are usually quick. It's usually like a, a 10, 15 minute ordeal. Uh, very rarely they'll go over unless you're playing like Commander or something. But like realistically, you just jam. I think you're really onto something with uh, kind of reducing that barrier to entry for for people. There's a lot there that I, I think most people would enjoy with uh, you know with creativity and like even like improv that kind of stuff. Like like taking that down so it's just a really easy you know like 
maybe take 10 minutes to get into it kind of thing. Absolutely. I think that's, 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 that's going to be powerful. It's intimidating. It's uh, the, in the entire experience. It's for a, a newbie. I've had so many people approach me. It's like, I don't know anything about this. I've always wanted to learn and I'm embarrassed because essentially what I'm asking somebody, it's like, I need to go into a room of people and essentially go to the bathroom in front of them. That's kind of the level of like what you're asking them to do. It's like, Oh my God, I have to act I have to know all of these rules. I have to know what dice I need to roll. I have a, and it's like, no, the thing is, is with role playing, it should be a comfortable experience. It shouldn't be some asshole going like, I can't believe you don't know how to turn undead. I can't believe you don't know what that those rules work or what you need to roll. It doesn't need to be that. It doesn't need to be adversarial. We're at a point where popular culture has basically opened that door. They've opened this door in a wonderful way to say, all of the bullshit that I dealt with as a kid growing up and being ostracized for like, what are you learning? What are you reading dork? And you're like, Oh, a book with the dragon or a unicorn on it. And then you get the shit kicked out of you. You don't have that anymore because everybody's interested. You're the coolest kid. Now <laughs> you're the coolest kid in the world. It's like, Oh my God, you made a game with dice and everything and imagination. I don't want to hit you. I want to go on a date with you possibly, you know, you know, you know that's just how it is. And it just, so you've got this level of, of acceptance and people interested to say, yeah, I'll play your silly dork game. And people are more open to it, but they're also embarrassed by the idea of like, what if I law, like I've, what if I'm not doing it right? There is no doing it right or wrong. At all. You're yeah. being comfortable. This is why Lawman's a beer and pretzel game. And that, that, what I mean by that is just, it's meant to be comfortable. It's not meant to be somebody ostracizing you the gameplay and mechanics itself when i talk about things being open it's an experience where the players tell you what they want to do they think of an archetype in their mind they think of something that they want to do if i want to play mr t what's mr t known for to use a very dated example but that's i mean i'm old and i just think mr t is my default you know he's a big dude that's got a lot of gold chains and he's buff and he beats the shit out of people those are the general concepts so that's what you want you want to bruise your character so you find ways to cultivate and explain you know, he's wearing $165,000 worth of jewelry on his on his vest area, and it's all there. And he he doesn't take any shit, but he also hates being on an airplane. Don't put me on an airplane, Hannibal, because he talked about it in every episode of the A-Team. So he has a flaw, you know, so you figure these things out and you build it as a character. The, the, the players bring that to the DM, and the DM will tell you, well, let's expand on that. So that way you get the the culture and the control and being able to do that. So you don't have like, I'm just good at everything. It's like, well, you need to specialize. What what does that mean? You're not good at everything. We're not making a Mary Sue game. Like, I don't want that. You know, maybe your players might want to do that and you might be okay with it, but finding ways to build that as a group. Somebody, the players bring the character idea to the DM and the DM kind of signs off on it, like almost like a parking ticket, I guess. Like, oh, I'm going to notarize this, but they at least confirm. Stamp approval. Yeah, yeah, you're ready to go. You've got enough to know that with the idea and the scope of the story with Lawman is like the idea with it is I've I've thought of it also because I've worked a lot of jobs to where I realize corporate America knows nothing about how anything needs to be done properly, but they think they do. It's the idea of having more confidence than actual information. And that's kind of how Lawman operates because the idea, like as much as like, oh, we're bounty hunters and we hire people off the streets. I used to think of those old crappy like Everest college commercials, like there would be on talk shows, like where they're like, you ain't doing nothing. You're not doing nothing with your life. Just call us and go to school. I'm like, and then somebody actually would call in and go to some, you know, DeVry type organization and waste <laughs> a lot of money and then have a degree that they can't do anything with. 
And I'm like, that would be great. So that's kind of what lawman is. <laughs> it's like, you're essentially becoming a bounty hunter with limited to no information. When it mentions minutes of training, they essentially bring you in. It's like, here, hold that gun. No, the other way. All right, you're ready to go. And they send them out. <laughs> so people don't know enough of how to do things and they're a liability and it actually works out well for the company because then they get sweet benefits if you get killed or do something bad so like craigslist uh, looking for bounty hunters basically exactly yeah. it's, it's getting the worst possible choice of anybody to come and do this and you're the worst possible choice but then you prove that you're a better choice by having the initiative and aptitude to be better than what's assumed where it's just like we'll hire anybody anybody even you, you know, and then it's like, no, it turns out I'm actually good at this. And one of the points you brought up earlier was like, you're having people that don't really play these type of games reach out, like they want to get interested in it. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? I mean, you're, you're a longtime D&D gamer and stuff like that. Have you noticed like more of like a pop, like more people are wanting to do it because of pop culture? Stranger Things happened and it, it exactly, and that's the thing. Yeah. People were impressed by it. The game that they are playing in Stranger Things is not Dungeons and Dragons. It yeah. says it's Dungeons and Dragons, but it is certainly not. But that's okay because all it does is open that door to make somebody go, there ain't no devil in that game. That looks fun. And then they want to check it out and they ask, how do you do it? And it's just like, you have these ideas of like, does somebody dress like a wizard and do this? It's like, no, 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 you don't have to. There are those weirdos that do that, but you don't have to do that. Well, no, 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 no shaming. Yeah, no shame. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. If you choose to live your life that way, that's totally cool. I mean, the LARP community is strong and powerful. I mean, I, you know, it's not my style, but I'm glad that it's there. It has expanded. It has become more popularized, you know, and it has been popularized by stuff like Critical Role, other shows that have happened. There's been a big surgence of like this whole idea is creative storytelling. And that's all that it has always been. It's it's make believe with dice with just math rocks. Math rocks are thrown in just to mix it up. But the thing is, is you're still cultivating a story. You're still creating that stuff. And once people realize that's what it is, that it's not just naming yourself some kind of, you know, I'm Grignor the 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 dwarf you know and it's like boy that sounds silly i don't want to do that i don't want to go in a room and identify myself as that and do that for several hours but if you do and you have fun with it then great it's finally getting the attention it deserves um and i think it's getting the positive attention that it deserves rather than the the fear and bible thumping of panic like something's popular and all the teens are doing it are those those marijuana cigarettes and those Dungeons and Dragons books? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess I just I don't know. <laughs> it, it, even like the stigma of like a bunch of like bearded dude, overweight bearded dudes just like sitting in a dark room hey. casting spells. <laughs> uh, like that, that's no longer a thing. And I, I'm seeing like more and more casual gamers and people that are just trying to dip their toes in it, like come into like comic book stores trying to like buy these kind of things. It's a and, wonderful thing because people are very excited about it because they feel like this is a stigma that has been lifted the thing is is that it's not there it's not the you know bitter neckbeard crowd that just lives in this and is resentful and shunful of society no it's people that just are saying like there's this thing i've heard about it i'm interested in it i've always kind of been interested in it but i was always like i mean it's with anything that's new anything that's really been new computers is always like there's a certain type of person that uses computer now everybody uses computer everybody uses computer for everything the idea of the information superhighway being used as a tool for research for collegiate, you know, you know, academic, you know, academia and all of this other stuff. No, it's all porn and cats now. It's all it is because that's what America wants. That's what the world wants. Everybody, you know, from from high to low, just everybody's here. And now that's what's happening with role playing, which is good, though. It's good because it's bringing in fresh ideas, fresh people. 
I think it's a good time. I've seen a lot of a lot of people like play with their kids too because it's like it's kind of a cool like my, my nephew and my my brother-in-law have been doing that. There's a there's a lot a lot of games are designed for kids. There's um there's a big big surgence of entry level Dungeons and Dragons or other type games for kids like even stuff that doesn't involve like killing but using creative ideas of of handling things uh, like as far as like you know problem resolution you know skill resolution like creative you know problem solving things like that there's a lot of good things that happen with it and there's a lot of good kid friendly games that exist lawman uses a lot of profanity i would not recommend it (laughs) (laughs) it does sometimes i'm like i need a verb fuck fuck (laughs) exactly (laughs) so so do you ever get like a little resentful about like these celebrities and like good looking people and famous people starting to play like Dungeons and Dragons and like it's like a cool in thing. You're just like, where the fuck was this 30 years ago? I, I had um, two of my friends were over right before the podcast and we were actually just talking about that. We were talking about the subject of it being cool. And the thing is, is that I still I wish it was. I wish like, boy, for my own sake, where it's like I've had to have plenty of arguments defending this stuff. And like I've taken my share of abuse and whatever for, you know, this. It's fine. The thing is, if it becomes easier for the next group of, you know, next generation to get on board, then totally great. You know, this is good. If TV's Joe Manganiello, you know, and TV's Wesley Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation are excited to play games and it makes you want to be excited about playing games, then great. You know, that's just it. It's a community. It's a community that should be open and should be excited. You know, and if somebody makes a billion dollars off of it and somebody makes like no money off of it or they make whatever Kickstarter's up to, you know, like, <laughs> you know, anywhere in between, it's all good. It's all good. As long as just keep playing, just keep rolling dice, you know, keep pretending you're an elf. <laughs> so where are you, like in the future, I mean, I know augmented reality is like becoming more and more like of a thing. Like, does yeah. that like really excite you about the future? You'd be like 80 years old and like actually like living in your RPG. Oh my goodness, that would be so terrifying and terrible to live in Lawman. Um, but <laughs> I am excited uh, getting a little bit closer, but with the augmented reality. Um, when we talk about the subject of getting together to play games, and especially like yeah. when you have things like Zoom, um, when you have there's avenues like Roll Twenty, which is a, a dun- it's an open gaming client where you can roll dice digitally and have maps and draw pieces and place tokens and do all that. These things exist. Uh, Tabletop Simulator is a great app that I'm not going to plug totally, but... I played Pathfinder off it. It was great. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. I I use Tabletop Simulator. I've got a lawman module that I've tested stuff. Oh, cool. Set it up. And I have all of those elements, so it's like I can drop everything out and set it up and know what cards look like and how they shuffle and kind of get a feel for it. I think that that stuff is so cool. But that's coming from kind of a tech background. Like, I love that. I get the traditionalists that are like, no, only paper and in person. That's fine. Yeah, but I love pandemic, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I will kill everyone in this room. If I'm playing D&D nerd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that with augmented reality and things like that, as the technology gets better, I think that things will only improve. I mean, I remember being impressed as shit when the PS3 offered that eye technology in that weird card game where they had a dragon's popping out of your card. I'm like, that's gimmicky, but it could be neat. And as things develop, you're going to find new and better innovations with the technology that combines those things, being able to combine You've got plenty of games that use like apps and side apps and things like that that enhance the experience, giving you timers or special effects and things like that. I think there's a lot of cool that can happen from it with having digital added content to traditional media and traditional role playing elements. I think that, you know, it's a great time. And again, 
with more people being interested in it means it's not going to go away. So that means the development will be there and the next generation of your Gygaxes and your Richard Garfields and all your clever people are going to come out and they're going to do something really cool that's going to just knock your socks off. Shit that we haven't even thought about or conceptualized, we're going to get. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the problem Like with like someone being like isolated like the game industry where it was only reserved for like people like us getting yeah. more like other people and like designing stuff yeah. for kids and designing stuff that's like friendly for women and stuff like that you get a lot more creativity you get a lot more of uh, you yeah. have so many wonderful creators right now that are you know female driven you've got different like gender queer friendly type stuff they've got lots of stuff that there's no frontier i mean there's basically there's no forbidden boundaries or anything for anything people are able to come into this there's never been a better time to jump on board with the gaming community than now whether anything whether it's like if you feel like you're disenfranchised now's the time now's the time to step in and tell the kind of game that you want to do because chances are really good you're going to find an audience that you didn't even know was there I'm a white guy that just made a weirdo game that's been done a dozen times. I just tried to do a different spin on it and I'm shocked with it. And the thing is, is if somebody has a really, really solid, good idea, then they're going to clean house. Just imagine. Yeah. Just imagine if you get somebody with actual talent in here. Uh, speaking of talent and stuff, uh, what what are what are some of your uh, dreams and goals? I mean, obviously the Kickstarter exploding is already like way above what you're expecting, but what's, uh, what's phase two of this? Like what, what are you, What's your next uh, idea that you want to work on? The next idea, I have um, I have a couple other games that I've made. Um, there's a, a board game that I do want to launch called Shitty Service. <laughs> that one was actually inspired. I'll, I'll plug this one because it's uh, the, the, the idea is done. It came to me while I was waiting for coffee at Duncan. I was in a drive-thru and I waited 35 minutes to get my incorrect order. So as I'm waiting there in Duncan, before I get my order that was wrong, I'm you know, being an asshole American and I'm writing about it on Facebook and it's just like, I can't believe I'm waiting this <laughs> live <long>. tweeting, <laughs> live tweeting from the, the Dunkin Donuts line. Yeah. Exactly. I wrote like hashtag America runs on shitty service. <laughs> and my other friend said, boy, you were there for 35 minutes. You probably could have made a whole game in the time you were waiting there. And I'm like, don't <laughs> fucking tempt me. And then I'm sitting there. I'm like, what else am I doing? I'm waiting. So I start mulling it over in my head and I start thinking about it. And then by the time I get home, I start writing stuff out and I got four pages of rules that are complete. Play an actual traditional board game <laughs> where you play. And it's from the other side of this because I don't want to be the asshole. It's like, I can't believe I'm waiting for my service. You know, it's like, no, <laughs> it's it's against that because I've been in enough positions where it's like, God, how how angry and pissed off are people like assholes like me right now? for when you're doing all you can. And the idea with it is that you, in shitty service, you work at a nameless coffee franchise and you've been there for years and you're sick of it. And you've heard of the sweet boon called unemployment and you you want to get it. You want to get high and go home and play video games and get paid, but you, you've got to do it carefully. You have to make it to where you were coincidentally terminated. <laughs> so you're a coffee mancer and you're a coffee mancer that's coffee casting mancer. the perfect spell to basically fuck with a customer just enough to get let go without it being directly linked to you so it's essentially a push your luck kind of test game where you the players around you the next player over plays the customer and you do a little bit of role playing where somebody makes an order and you're the snarky sarcastic bitter bastard who has to serve him a drink and then you have to do just enough things to fuck with the drink to earn enough karma 
to get let go without going over by causing harm to yourself or getting fired or worse arrested, which could possibly happen. And the players explain at that point, they, they test, like they say what they're going to do to the drink and it's ranked. Like it's kind of a peer vote kind of thing. You suggest an idea of like, Oh, I'm going to put too much sugar in it. And it's like, that's kind of weak. So that's going to be like a one bar of soap. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, you put a bar of soap or you print a receipt out and you stuff it in there. It's like, okay, that's moderate. And you kind of did it. And it's like, I did it outside or where the customer wouldn't have been able to see it, but I did it knowing. It's like, oh, I go into the kitchen and open up the fridge and take a, you know, a baggie of somebody's breast milk and I just dump it in there, you know, or something like that. And it's like, okay, that's a three. Because of the pay extra for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or something just directly. It's like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm just going to drop my pants and put my balls in the coffee and then dump the beans in and then make coffee. And it's like, okay, that's extreme. So that's a six. So you push it as far as you want to, and then you serve the drink. The customer rolls a secret number, which is their tolerance factor of how much bullshit they're going to put up with. And the idea is as you rank this up, you don't know how far to push it, but that ends with, and then I serve the drink. And then when you serve the drink, you reveal the total. If you're within a threshold of victory, you either get the point for doing it just right by getting just doing enough damage to make it just coincidentally okay or if you go under, you suck. You keep serving coffee. You you know, the guy didn't notice. <laughs> if you go too far up, they can potentially roll pain in the ass uh, dice or a Karen dice to call out the manager. <laughs> you do, you get a disciplinary token. It gets harder. And if you go way over it by six or more, uh, the manager's sick of your shit and calls a cop and you get arrested. And since you work at a coffee shop, you don't have any bail money. So you're out of the game. You're, you're fucked. And then you go around the table until everybody has either gotten fired or keeps working there. The last person who works there has to do a double for everybody that got fired. So he's the super loser. My next goal is to eventually find a way because I've, I've made prototypes of it and I'd like to package it and, and develop it and other ideas. Like I've, I'm, I've constantly, I've got four or five different game ideas in mind. So the longest way of telling you that story is yes, I have more plans for more things that I want to develop. That sounds like a fun game. Yeah, it sounds yeah. definitely like a, a drinking type game. It's yeah. definitely a drinking kind of casual, like, let's do this. Because I played it with uh, two test groups. One was, like, very excited about the idea of cutting loose and making fun of people. Or, like, basically doing mean shit. And then mm-hmm. this other group's like, I don't want to be mean to anybody. It's like, no, it's fictional mean. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> They're not real people. <laughs> I feel like people that work in the service industry might enjoy that. Because they, they That's exactly. kind of unload a little bit. <laughs> it's definitely yeah you you cut loose and you you get that moment of saying i did that thing i think about because i used to work a couple of shitty jobs like that mm-hmm. i've worked at a books a million i've worked at a staples and i'm just kind of like god how can you be this awful and all you're doing is asking me normal basic things but just the way that it's being done sucks and i'm just thinking it's like it would be great to watch you fall off a ladder or something <laughs> you know I, I don't know like just and i'm like i'm not a mean awful person but you think it yeah <laughs> I have a couple quick lightning round questions. Uh, Seamus, do you have any other major questions for him? We can go to lightning round. Lightning round. Right. Favorite sci-fi movie? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm going to say Aliens right now, and I know that's going to change, but I will say Alien. Okay. Uh, Blade Runner. Never mind. Blade Runner. <laughs> Which cut? Oh, God. I, I like the original <laughs> director's cut mm-hmm. um, before the final cut. I don't like final cut at all. Um, the theatrical cut's fun, except I don't like the B-roll, everybody's happy, everybody wins ending. But I like the voiceovers. I like the uh, sushi. That's what they called me. Cold fish. You know, those stupid lines. I love that. But yeah. Or Robocop. Damn it. All right. Anyway, I'm going to keep doing it. I, I can't settle, but I'll, we'll say Blade Runner. Let's, let's, we'll just stay silent. See what else comes out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drinking a lot of caffeine. Back to Alien. No, no. Alien, aliens. Aliens. That's it. Final answer. No, Predator's fucking good, too. Total Recall. Damn it. 
What's uh? What, what about a what about favorite uh sci-fi book or literary sci-fi? Um, my favorite literary sci-fi book. I was a huge Heinlein fan, and I really loved uh, Starship Troopers. I really, mm-hmm. really was. Yeah, that was a that was a good one. Just for that first chapter, the first chapter of describing you know power armor when there was no power armor and just being able to describe these guys throwing what were hydrogen bomb grenades and i was just like boy this book is just this machismo beat ass hard on of whatever and it, and then it turns out it wasn't like it was all like Heinlein kind of satire and it was all really cool like I, i'm gonna say you know that's on the uh the marine corps uh, recommended reading list no that's awesome yeah, yeah. i didn't know uh, that for 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 uh citizenship and all that they yeah they get the service, service like, it's guarantees a- citizenship yeah. <laughs> another Paul Verhoeven unappreciated classic because people didn't understand what the fuck it was. And then years later, they're like, oh, there's actually a lot of Paul Verhoeven satire in here. I'm like, yes, that's what he does. He makes movies about fucked up shit. That's a parody <laughs> of something. And it's also got bugs in it. Yeah. <laughs> that's our, that's spit lava. <laughs> Are you a uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? All right. I see them as both. Okay. I love Star Trek. I absolutely love Star Trek. I appreciate Star Wars. Star Wars has proven to me that you can do too much of a thing. <laughs> and it's 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 teased me. Bad Batch is great. Mandalorian's pretty good for the most part. I enjoy most of it. Star Trek, also kind of the same. You know, I, I think Star Trek's had two good movies. CNG is my comfort food. Like, it's my show that I can always watch. And even, even if it's a bad episode, even if it's a season one episode... I will still love TNG. Like I just, I, I have to say, Star Trek. You know, there's there's like there's like 200 episodes of that too, right? There's a lot of a lot uh, of. There TNG. are seven seasons, 26 episodes per season. I want to say 158, 59 total. You guys remember when TV had like more than 25 episodes in a season? They that don't do it dope. anymore. It's like yeah. eight episodes now. I it's... cannot imagine the commitment. That's the thing, but the amount of money that goes into a lot oh, of yeah. this stuff too, the money that was there at the time, because Star Trek TNG was such a gamble. Like that was a show that nobody really wanted to come out and Roddenberry fought everybody and to do that because he wanted it done a certain way. And they're like, no, nobody wants to watch stuffy, corny old 60s television. He's like, well, yes, they do because they like Star Trek. And it's like, yeah, well, it got canceled. I missed having that much TV. But now that you've got instant in, you know, instant gratification of this, it's like the shorter seasons. Like I'll go back and like rewatch like like uh, Stargate or something. There's like or 20 plus episode seasons. And it's like mm-hmm. such a grind. It's in a good way. Where it's just like, yeah. oh, man, I got like 200 episodes waiting for me. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's cool when it's something you really like. I, I kind of like that newer stuff coming out is, is like in smaller chunks. You, you, you can you can you can like see a lot of different things without much commitment. I feel like um Right now, pretty much one of my favorite shows is The Expanse, and I know that it's had shorter, bite-sized chunks of storytelling. I should have said some of The Expanse books, because I actually really like the start first couple of them. I will change every single answer you give me. (laughs) Yes, so Star Trek. (laughs) Favorite movie from the 80s? Favorite 80s movie. Oh my god, this is such a tough question. I will have to say, if I'm thinking off the cuff... Uh, so this is such a tough question fuck it i'm just to say aliens <laughs> <laughs> i have to aliens is pretty much my first big entry into what was quote-unquote horror in a movie that i shouldn't have been able to watch like oh, for yeah. some reason blood was okay profanity was okay all this other stuff but monsters weren't because that was like is this gonna scare you and i watched aliens randomly on like i think a free hbo weekend or something as a kid and I would caught like the beginning of it where it's like they're right outside the colony and they're coming in and I just see spacey looking stuff. And I'm like, what's this? 
and it stuck with me it hit and it hit hard and i'm like god sci-fi is so cool and being a space marine a colonial marine is that's what i want to do when i grow up and, and i held on to that until i was about 24 yeah <laughs> It's like uh, the thing was like that for me when I first saw the thing and all like, it was like, what is this? And like it terrified me. And it was just so awesome. I absolutely. And this is the this is a very shameful fact. I did not get to see the masterpiece of John Carpenter's The Thing until I was 28. I just missed oh, out. Wow. So when I watched it, it was like an earth shattering experience. That was a movie that was like, this is why is nobody talking about this movie? This movie was fucking amazing. <laughs> and then I remember it just critically panned and everybody hated it and all of this other yeah. stuff. And it's like it's um, it's got the best practical gore in a film ever. It's got the best ending, the best you know, sweet segue. Story. We, we actually uh, interviewed one of the guys that did the special effects for the thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Shout out to Rob Berman. Yeah, Rob Berman really? and all. He did the special effects for it. Wow. And it was like a dream come true. It was like a, a hardcore oh fan movie. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding yeah. me? That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, and like that movie like just holds up so well. Like It still scares the shit out of you. He was really young when they started it, too, wasn't he? He was like incredible. Yeah, like uh, with Rob and all, he was in like right out of high school. That was like his first job. I was going to say, he was like maybe 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Like he was really young. And I'm like, the the effects to that hold up. I still won't watch the, um, the 2011 because I know it's all computer and it's just like it's, it's not just, yeah it fills in those gaps and all which is like good to see it once and then like it's whatever this is i mean to me it was like oh well what did goldilocks do before she decided to go to the three bears house it's like i don't care it doesn't matter <laughs> they're sweet you know the norwegians had a problem with the dog that killed everybody and now they're like here screaming and the guy gets shot and then you get the movie <laughs> i don't need to know i mean i like i like some of it like because like the stuff where like they had the axe in the wall like and like stuff like that like they're like all right this is this is this is where it happened like everything connects and everything seems yeah. into it and i'm just you know i i can't say that i'm a purist because again like i said i only watched the movie not relatively that long that ago, long ago <laughs> but it still held up to me it's like i don't really need the more yeah. Like I, I, some movies, I'm like, I would like to know more. And I thought I would like to know more with the first alien. I was like, oh, there's a space jockey. It was grown in the ship. I wonder what its story was. And then Prometheus came out. I'm like, I didn't want to know any of this. <laughs> I like the mystery of not knowing what it was because it made it scarier and weirder. And now it's just like, oh, now it's just a Ridley Scott insane old man, bun, you know, bungled idea. Do you prefer like a horror element? Do you prefer alien or aliens? <sighs> See, I started with the sequel, and that mm -hmm. sucks because it's the James Cameron actiony badass movie. Oh, well, you got to make the sequel better than the pre the original. Well, you got to make it different. You got to handle it differently. And the thing is, is that when I went back and watched Alien, I felt like it was diminished until I was drawing. And this is a story about 150 years ago. I was drawing and decided I want to put a movie on in the background while I work because I do that often. I will mm -hmm. always have some kind of like. I'm going to have a movie with Arnold in it or Chuck Bronson. You know, I'm going to have something on that I'm just like going to have on and it's going to be comfortable. Oh, here's Death Wish 3. Let's watch this. But when the director's cut for Alien was on, I didn't realize all of the added shit was in there. Like my brain didn't process it. It was mm -hmm. like, I think the first time I put the disc in and they had the scene with Dallas stuck to the wall. Okay. I don't know yeah. if you remember that one. But mm -hmm. when you um, have Captain Dallas after he had disappeared when the alien did jazz hands and took him away, Ed Dallas is there and he's all cocooned to the wall. And you see Brett, who's 
being turned into an egg, which I didn't even realize and catch the first time, but he's <laughs> kill me and had his weird tone. That scared the shit out of me so bad. Even as an adult, I was like, what am I watching? Am I making this up? Is like, this is like in my brain. Like I was so used to and comfortable with this movie. It's like having a scene literally appear from nowhere. And it was coming straight from hell <laughs> to tell me this horrible thing. So it got me. And that made alien again, jump back up because of the mystery of like, how do these things produce eggs? How does this happen if there's no thing? And it's like, I like the idea. They're like, oh, it turns them into eggs. It's actually making a cocoon, but it's doing this to create more. And it's like, God, these things get worse and worse the more I learn. And then like little stuff like, oh, you know, weird stuff, like even looking at the suit, like it, it makes me go back and investigate and look at the, the creature. It's like, oh, it's got two thumbs. I didn't know that. Like on each hand, it's got two thumbs on both sides. It's like something I didn't realize. That's really fucking terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, like HR's like artwork and all. If you ever like look at like his shit is so fucking. Oh, awesome. it's amazing! Yeah. It's amazing. Absolutely, I'm a big, oh. big fan. What's your favorite uh, video game franchise or video game in general? I'm gonna stick with and say Mass Effect right now, um, okay. because Mass Effect took a game idea that in the beginning I was like kind of like, oh, this seems like pretty kind of cookie cutter at first, and it turned into a franchise that gave me a lot of believable, wonderful role-playing characters. It went, and it took me through a lot of emotional highs and lows, and then the third one came out and just gave me a very flat ending. I was like, what? Yep. What? Why did you do this? Why did, Why would this happen? You promised me it wasn't going to be A, B, or C, and you brought me into a room that's A, B, or C. I still couldn't hate it because it's like every bit of it was just this wonderful journey, like this wonderful trip of like getting to know characters that didn't exist that aren't real things that was one of the first like really big sci-fi games that really just like wow this is like bringing like a movie and like or a television series and like playing it and all it, it was really and impressive. it was a unique ip it wasn't like i mean i enjoyed knights of the old republic i thought it was mm -hmm. a wonderful star wars game and it definitely one of the best role-playing games that bioware mm -hmm. produced however it's still using it's using unique content but it's still using borrowed ideas that i'm like i'm familiar with this i understand this i've done this so i know what jedi can do i know what sith can do and i know that we'll continue to add magic tricks and all this stuff but i feel like this is something that's familiar familiar ground that i've I've followed mass effect felt like it's got bits and pieces of unique fun stuff and then it kind of twists it in a different way and it does give you these elements that were just surprisingly just strikingly human and alien and it was done in a way that was like i, I didn't know where it was going i didn't know what it was going to do and that made it fun yeah, it was, it's a real masterpiece and all that. Definitely looking back mm -hmm. at it. Yeah. Bought the Legendary Edition a few weeks ago and still haven't played it. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to return to this. Oh, I don't have any time. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of time to invest in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I played that in like Dragon Age at like the same time. And it was just like, there's like a quarter of my life, like just gone yeah. in those two games. <laughs> my brother was a big Dragon Age player. He, he got sucked into it. And I know a lot of people that did. I've. Unfortunately, I'm more of a I'm more of a sci-fi thing, even though the, the two genres are essentially the same thing. Oh, this is magic. Oh, this is a positron collider. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just what you're calling it. You're still doing the same shit. It just I have to have that technical. Oh, what's its serial number? <laughs> what's your uh, go to D&D &D class? Go to D&D &D class. This is easy. I go paladin. Paladin. OK. The rules are laid out. I get to take everybody's gold. I get to be annoying. I get to, you know, deal with the undead in a way and I can heal. In your game, is there any non-combat classes? Or is it all combat? It's there the archetypes, because the thing is, is I don't really have any set classes for it. Again, with it being skill based, I'm letting people kind of come up with what they want. There are different um, origins. I actually didn't explain in Lawman. It is set far in the future. And disappointingly enough, there are no aliens. 
but that's also open because there could be aliens and you just haven't run into them yet. Oh, yeah. You're, you're throwing a xenomorph in that motherfucker in the, in the second volume. Of course. Of course. Somebody's <laughs> going to be in there. Something's yeah. going to be out there. Predator hunting motherfucker. The ultimate bounty hunter. There he is. Oh, yeah. Let me show you how it's actually done, sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's humans, which are basically called meat people. Uh, there's cyborgs, <laughs> robots, and mutants. And mutants essentially are obviously humans that have been mutated by something and have survived. They have powers? They have random manifestations. They could be good. They could be bad. Players can come up with one of them and they lose some of their benefits. Or the GM can come up with a mutation and they get more benefits. That's kind of how it works. So it makes it a little bit more round. And the thing is, is mutants are essentially non-combat based because they're weaker by nature. But there's things that won't kill them. Like for some reason, radiation doesn't kill them. So they've got their uses and advantages, such as like, you know, even robots can't go into certain places because the radiation is too high. It'll melt them up. Yeah. So they've got stuff like that. So mutants have their advantages. But the archetype for it, there's an archetype called smartass. And it's a former corporate scientist that is just a mutant who's just this manifestation. He's half invisible and he's got three eyes and he glows in the dark. And he's a mess, but he's the guy in the van. He's he's the thinker. He's got a lot of stuff that's going on, but he's the thinker. He's the guy in the van that sticks back. He's like, look, if I go in there, somebody's going to put a gun to my head and blow my brains out because look at me. Why wouldn't you? So I'm going to be the tactical guy. I'll tell you how to respond. I'll be the guy, the Gorman in the ship who's like looking at the cameras. We're like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't go back. Go back. Hack into the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. I got to hack into your, use your matrix codes to do all your stuff. Yeah. So there's. There's ideas and definitely potential for that, too, because I'm actually kind of thinking about like there's um, another non-combat class called the schmoozer. And uh, the schmoozer is just somebody that's the I'm going to talk my way out of it. I'm going to be your fancy pants talking guy and I'm going to go, I'm going to cut you a deal or I'm going to do something that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to make a good standing argument of why you shouldn't kill me or why you shouldn't do the thing. And they're all for it. And you know what? Damn it. They might get it. They might be just smarmy enough. The idea that was based on Ellis from Die Hard, the guy okay. that Hans Gruber blows his brains mm-hmm. out. I like the idea of him just like Hans Booby, I'm your white knight. And he explains this whole thing and he does it and then gets killed anyway. Yeah. But yeah. I just like the idea of has somebody having the balls to be like, no, 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 no. Let me sell you on this to a situation. It's like, this is grim. You should not be doing what you're doing. Let's see how it plays out. Yeah, I, I'm full of Coke, whatever. This is a great idea. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm i very, very excited to talk to you guys. And this has been really, really cool. Where can our listeners find more of you, your Kickstarter, everything about your game and all that fun stuff? Well, you can find more of my art um, and stuff like that on JoeRocksArt.com. Um, my Kickstarter right now, you can search for Lawman or Lawman ARPG. Uh, a space RPG for a role-playing game and it'll come up. It's got 25 days to go. So it'll still be up and running. If not, it will be available on drive through RPG and you can search for lawman role-playing game, some combination or critical failure games. You can search for that and it'll come up. Awesome, man. It, it, we really appreciate you coming on. It was, it was great, great to talk to you. It's a, it's, it's cool listening to you, like talk about the stuff you're passionate in. You know, thank you so yeah. much. Thank so. you. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a blast. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Definitely, I love shooting the shit with like fellow nerds. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, if you guys yeah. ever want me to come back, I will come back even just to. Yeah, talk definitely. Well, uh, you know, when, if, if you ever have another, uh, when you get a uh, shitty service going, uh, come back. <laughs> you got it. Talk Absolutely. About it. Or play a game <laughs> of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to play. It. Love to play some sure. shitty service. You got it. Got to play that shitty service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate it, man. This is awesome. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank and, you so much. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was that was, that was a good one, huh? 
yeah, it was a, it was a fun interview. Um, it was really just chatting, which I know we don't do too often, but like it was just really fun just shooting and shit and like talking about sci-fi and his games and stuff like that. I think his um his kind of angle of like like lowering the barrier of entry to to the games like this is really cool. I think there are a lot of a lot of really cool benefits like like beyond entertainment just just with um you know with like creativity and imagination and stuff like that within these these tabletop games like lowering that barrier of entry i think is going to be pretty cool for you know because like like uh, like I- anybody's going to be able to access this now you know and yeah it's, it's like not even just that it's just making it more simple like simplifying it where it's like like a stepping stone where people are like curious like do I want to get into like this kind of thing? This is like, it'll be much simpler for them to like, get into and then like full fledged, like fifth edition Dungeon and Dragons or, or Pathfinder or whatever. Like it's, it's gives them like people an opportunity to test the orders, if you will. Yeah. It was, yeah. You know, we bring on the filthy casuals, you know? Yeah. And then like, <laughs> especially like in this, I know we talked about it in the episode, uh, but appealing to like the mass and all, like it, it's becoming more like popular, like a pop culture type thing. I, I hear all the time on like people like asking, like, I want to get into Dungeons and Dragons, but like, I don't know when it plays it or I don't know people that play it. And like, I need someone to kind of show me the way there's a lot of people like that. Cause it's always like, it sounds interesting. It sounds different than like the stuff we're normally doing, but like, we don't know how to get into it. And like something like his system is a lot easier for like the, those people to, to hop in on. Yeah. I think the theme is like fun to, it'll be fun to, to riff on, you know, like the, I'm, I'm one of the many people that was like absolutely extremely angered by the way that Fox um, handled Firefly. Um, and we, we never got to see that seven season epic come come to fruition. So, you know, it's it's it, it's it's going to kind of scratch an itch that's uh, it's been, you know, un, unattended for me for quite a while. So I thought it was really funny when he's like, yeah, I never heard of Firefly. And like, yeah, this is basically Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah <right. laughs> Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And there's a lot of... Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm agreeing with you. I'm sorry. No, that's cool. We're both... both, I'm sorry. I'm just chatting (laughs) up. Um, I'm sorry, too. Well, we're, we're all sorry here. It's fine.